All right, the second piece of exciting news is for everyone. Hopefully when you came in, you received an app card with some instructions. Today is the day we are debuting our brand new Gateway app, and we are so excited. Let's give it up for this. Yes, we're pumped. It's gonna be awesome. So, if you have our old app, you're gonna to wanna to chunk that, delete that from your phone, and everybody take out your phones now because it's time to download the new one. There are gonna be some instructions on the screen and you've got them on the card as well. This Gateway app is awesome. It's packed full of great features that you wanna take advantage of. You can access old messages. You can take notes while you're watching those old messages. You can access the live stream if you're sick or something and you can't make it to church. You will be able to stay up to date on all the great events that are coming up and you can even register within the app. You can also get reminders about those great events. This is how you can really stay up to date on all that's going on at Gateway. You can access our Spotify list that has all the great songs you guys hear up here on the stage. You won't wanna miss any of that. You can give easily on the app. And so we're so excited to debut it. We hope that you take advantage of that. Download it, you'll see all the great features. We're really pumped about it. All right, so today we are continuing in our series called The One and Others, and John is here to talk to us about how we can challenge one another. But before we hear that, check out this gateway story that will get us ready for, uh, for what we're about to hear. This is from Deborah Collins. Let's give her a hand. Oh, so sorry. Nine years ago, I started serving on the Gateway Stage crew as part of my probation agreement. Christmas Eve 2008, I was arrested for DUI and missed Christmas with my six-year-old son because I was in jail. I lied to my family and told them I was sick, which actually was not a complete lie because I was sick from all the secrets that I kept. But that is not where my story began. When I was young, my father abused alcohol, so I did not feel safe. I learned early how to live a facade of perfection and performance because that's how I believed I would be loved and secure. My teen years were full of athletic and academic achievements despite my secret life of drinking and having sex. I do not blame my parents for my life choices. I love them and I honor them and I am so grateful to them. At 17, I, my dad began to change and I was so happy. I thought I was finally going to have my family that I longed for, but two years later, he died from cancer. I was so angry at God. Why would he take my dad now? I didn't know God, so I was left angry. In college, I was still chasing love and security in guys. Fell in love, got pregnant, then married. But five years into that marriage, things fell apart and we were divorced. Devastated and desperate for something to save my life, change my life, I entered Gateway. I randomly attended and sat way up top where no one could see me so I could make a quick exit to get back to numbing my pain. I carried little bottles of wine in my purse to, so I had my fix when anxiety would hit. On the outside, I truly was the happiest single mom alive, but on the inside, I was dying. I was serving other single moms in my home, but I was still lying and secretly drinking. And then that Christmas Eve happened. I was so ashamed of myself and my life, but something happened as I began to serve out my sentence of probation and really get plugged in at Gateway. I met Jesus. I was not judged by anyone. They loved me right where I was. 
Anna Johnson, who now is my family, answered my Connect card, and I joined her life group and found a spiritual running partner. They loved me, the whole me, but I didn't love the whole me. Though I was no longer drinking, I still didn't, hadn't dealt with my junk. I was still living under the lie that I needed a husband to be secure and loved. So once again, I met a guy, fell in love, and decided to get married. Betty Blake, as well as many others that were leading me, challenged me to wait. They could see my blind spot, that I needed more healing, but I didn't listen. That marriage ended within two years. My son was 10 years old. I was devastated again. Two failed marriages, a record, a battle with pain and anxiety. There was only one common denominator in all of it, me. One day, my son said to me, Mom, you're just doing God's will your way, and that doesn't work. He was right. I hadn't surrendered a single thing to the Lord. Finally, I understood that, and I began a journey of surrender. My spiritual running partner, Lauren Cho, challenged me daily to press into the spaces God was asking me to confront and surrender. She and I are still running partners today, and I am grateful for each challenge that helped me grow. I faced my junk and allowed the Lord to transform me. After much growth, I became a gateway leader and started a life group and served on guest services. Holly Hildebrand came alongside of me and began to challenge me in new ways. I have now been a commission leader for two years and serve on the connections team and prayer team. The enemy is a liar and I believed his lies. I believed that I was unlovable, but John 8:32 says, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I finally found God's truth about me. There is nothing that God can't redeem. I am standing here today finally free, finally fully alive. I'm standing here today to tell you that I love me, the whole me. God created me and I'm special to him. I am not defined by my past. I found my true self at age 47. My son and I are closer than we have ever been because God is at the center of our relationship. And this fall, I will be teaching divorce care for kids. I've come full circle. Nine years ago, my son and I went through divorce care and now I get to help others in that season. My heart's desire is that every child will know who they are in Christ so they do not have to grow up to be an adult kid in an identity crisis like I was. I challenge you to take a step towards Jesus. No matter how far you think you are from Him, it's a lie. He is always just an arm's length away waiting for you. Deborah's story is amazing, but it's because there is an amazing God at work, and her story's not uncommon around here. It's actually very common. God is at work in and through us together as we're willing. He is changing us to be more and more like himself if we're willing. But you know, change, though it's a part of life, is something that we tend to 
not really be excited about. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, we kind of resist change. And yet the truth is, if you don't change, you die, at least on one level. Do you realize that your cells, for instance, are dying and changing and being replaced, regenerated all the time? The, the physical cells of your body. This is just a part of life. Millions of cells are dying and being replaced every year. Do you know your skin cells get replaced every month? Your stomach lining every five days. Your skeleton gets replaced, all the cells in it, every three months. Your liver every six weeks. Some of you need a new one every week, but we're going to talk about that, okay? We'll help you. Within five to seven years, every cell of your body has changed. You physically are changing. It's a change is a natural part of what it means to be alive. Now, I made a change recently. I decided to get on a healthy diet. <laughs> never, never really been on a diet in my life, but I wanted more energy. Um, and, 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 you know, I had, I had heard about change happening usually in a four-stage process, um, kind of like this. When, when you're really young, you believe in Santa Claus. And then when you become a teenager, you don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. And then in your 30s and 40s, you are Santa Claus. And then after that, you just look like him. <laughs> and I didn't really want to follow that change process. I, I, I like to be active. I'm still playing soccer with 20-year-olds. But I, but I noticed my energy is not what it used to be. I'm not uh, I'm not, I'm changing, but I'm not changing in the direction I'm hoping to go. In fact, I, I think I'm getting ripped off on the new cells thing. I think my, my old cells are getting replaced with older cells all the time. And so I decided to try this new uh, diet uh, that my doctor recommended to help with energy. So I'm gluten-free, um, which as one comedian said, I didn't even know what gluten was, but I found out I like it a lot. <laughs> it's like in everything. Uh, so I'm gluten-free, I'm carb-free, I'm sugar-free, I'm fun-free, I am just free <laughs> of everything. But here's the thing, if I want to stay healthy, I have to watch what I put in my body, and I have to watch how I train and exercise my body. We all understand that physically. You know, uh, Brian Ziska is a friend of mine down at Gateway Central, uh, and he runs marathons. And in fact, he ran, the, he ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim and back again. I know, it's, it's crazy. Now, Brian can't do that without watching what he eats, right? I watch, I've, I've watched what I eat. I've watched cookies, chocolate, chocolate chip cake, you know, Cokes go from hand to mouth. I've watched all of that. He watches healthy food go in and he trains, he runs regularly in order to do that. Now, what if I decided to try to run rim to rim with Brian without watching what I eat or doing any training? I would die, right? We all know that. And here's why. There's a difference between trying versus training. There's a difference between trying versus training. See, the same thing that's true on the physical plane is true on the spiritual plane as well. There's a big difference between just trying to do something and trying to do, to do something. If I just decide I'm going to try to run a, a marathon, I'm not going to be able to. If you decide you're going to try to play Bach on the piano, but you've never practiced the piano, you're not going to be able to do it. And the same is true 
on the, in the spiritual life, and yet we don't, we don't really think about it that way. In other words, I don't become a more loving person by just trying to act more loving. It doesn't work. You've probably tried it. You know, I don't become a more joyful person just by saying, be happy, come on, come on, be happy. It doesn't work, does it? Not, not sustained for the long haul. You can't find peace or patience by trying harder in that crunch moment to just be peaceful and patient. It, it, it doesn't tend to last. See, spiritual changes, they don't come by just trying harder. You have to train for it. Just like you would running a marathon. You have to put things in your life that will help change your perspective and habits and automatic responses. That when we put things in our lives, God has access to our hearts and our minds and it starts to change us from the inside so we are truly a different kind of person so that we react differently in those situations. Now, the truth is most of us want to change on some level, at least somewhat, even though we might also resist it. Think about it this way. Have you ever been disappointed with yourself? Ever? Yeah, all of us probably, right? And I mean, some disappointments are, are, are minor. You know, I'm disappointed I don't have as much money as I thought I would. I'm disappointed that I, I don't have the house I wanted or I don't have the body I wanted. You know, those are disappointments. Those are minor. There are major disappointments also that are more serious. Like no matter how many times I change jobs or careers or relationships, I'm never satisfied. Or no matter how much success I, I reach, I'm never content. Or maybe you're disappointed because you have some bad habits or some addictions and you keep trying hard to quit, but year after year, you just keep falling into the same thing. Maybe, you know, you're disappointed because you really wish you were a better friend or, or a better husband or a better wife, and yet, in reality, you keep hurting the very people you love most. Or disappointment with being a parent. You watch your children sleeping at night. And you feel so much love for them. And you think about the kind of parent you want to be. You know, kind and patient and so loving. And even when you have to correct them, being very patient and developmental. You know, you, you imagine great moments of laughing together as they grow up. Making magic moments for them. And then the little cyclones wake up. And everything goes out the window, right? And, and in reality, you come home and you're stressed out. And you explode at them rather than patiently developing them you know your three-year-old spills milk and you become impatient and you know out it comes or uh, you rush through bedtime preoccupied with trying to you know just veg out to social media or tv you think what a disappointment now all this disappointment that all of us feel is actually just a sign pointing us toward hope follow me on this all right when we realize that we are all in a state of disappointment, it can show us something. You know, as John Ortberg points out, we are missing the life God appointed us to live. That's why we feel so much disappointment. We were appointed by God for so much more, but somehow we're missing it. And we all know this, right? I mean, we, we know I have more potential than this. I can experience more love and joy and peace than this. I have more to offer to the world than they've seen yet. We all know that deep inside. And that's because God has appointed us for those things. But 
to get there, we have to keep growing towards spiritual maturity. And there are two things that we need if we are truly gonna grow up towards spiritual maturity as children of God. And that is challenging relationships and spiritual exercises. So let's talk about that. We're gonna spend most of our time in challenging relationships because this is the most challenging, quite honestly. See, if we really are going to change and grow spiritually, we have to put ourselves in the right environment, in the right relationships. Like if you just do what everybody's doing, you're gonna get the results everybody's getting, right? And they play on the outside like everything's good, but I'm telling you from 30 years as a pastor, it's not what goes on underneath. That's why it says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. In other words, who you hang out with really does shape and influence who you become. It's just true. And so we have to pay attention to that. It's kind of like the soil in, in your garden, right? You're growing flowers. You know, you can't make a, a flower grow. God causes the growth, but the soil really does matter. You gotta water it, you gotta tell it, you gotta, you gotta fertilize it. And in the same way, humans grow, God causes us to grow, but the soil, the environment, really does matter. And that's what we're talking about in this series, that God has created the church, uh, which the church is just relationship. That's what we've been saying, right? And he's created the church to be those who follow him as a new father and they're adopted into a new family, and he has new family rules. And throughout the New Testament, they're called the one another's. There are over 50 one another's. In other words, these are, these are God's new rules of how we are to treat one another in his family so we grow up into spiritual health, into spiritual maturity. Last week, we talked about how the, the soil starts with grace, that, that we start to see the masterpiece in one another. We start to call that out. We focus first on building up and encouraging one another. And we looked at passages like this in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another or each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. How does Christ accept us? As is. Come as you are. Right? He takes us right where we are. That's the soil of grace giving acceptance. And it's what every person needs in order to truly grow. See, what God was doing through Jesus is he was paying the price for all of our sins and all of our wrongs for all time so that we can know we are washed clean in God's eyes. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earned. It's a gift he gives us. Why? So we'll turn our hearts back to him and willingly be adopted into his family and then follow him so he can help us grow up together as his family. Now we're gonna look at Hebrews 10 and that's where it starts. It's gonna talk about how we challenge one another, but it starts with grace. It says this, Hebrews 10, 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way. That's what he's doing. So let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled or washed with Christ's blood to make us clean. Now here's what this is saying. It's critical. We will never grow if we don't learn to live in this. When we accept God's free gift of forgiveness and adoption as his children, which was paid for by Jesus' shed blood on the cross. And by the way, 
what Jesus did shows us how much our wrongs cost him. In other words, it's not just no big deal. We hurt ourselves, we hurt each other, and that, that has a ripple effect throughout humanity. It costs God a lot, and yet he pays for that, and it also shows us how much we're worth to him. We're worth everything to him. He didn't hold anything back. And the reason he did that is so we can approach him clean, knowing he will never condemn us. He will never judge us, and therefore we're free. Think about that. You're free. You don't have to worry about anybody else's judgment or condemnation or what they think or don't think about you. It doesn't matter. Because in the eyes of the only one who matters, you're clean, you're good. You're his masterpiece, and now he wants to restore you into more and more of what he intended. That is what we're, what we're trying to do here as a church, is we start with this soil of grace, and, and when we start to learn to live in that and not worry about what other, others think, then we can really live in this idea that there are no perfect people. No perfect people allowed. That's why we say that, Right? We say it because if we think we have to be perfect, then we're not living in grace. We haven't gotten it yet. We think we're done. And so we resist change. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of challenge. We, we come back with defensiveness or combative, aggressive, blaming. But that's not how we're transformed. Our third value is be transformed, right? God wants us to help each other grow up into spiritually healthy people. So it goes on in Hebrews 10, 24 and says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his returning is drawing near. See, if we really create the soil of grace-giving acceptance, encouraging one another, we're, we're for each other, it allows us then to motivate or challenge each other. Now, that word motivate in Hebrews uh, there is actually originally, it's a Greek word, proxumos, from where, which we give our word proximity. And it talks about that, that we can't really live these one another's out sitting in rows, right? You have to get proximal to each other. You have to get in each other's lives, you know? You can't do the one another's to one another unless you get in relationship. And that's why we're always encouraging people to take a, a, a next step you know, serve people with people. Get in a life group. Find spiritual running partners. Now, a spiritual running partner, um, some of you may not have heard about this, but we, we liken it to, you know, even if you're in a, a life group or if you're serving with, with other people, to find one or two people that you're going to trust fully and then to just ask each other some questions and reflect to each other. And, and it helps us grow. You know, think about it like if you were going to run a marathon, you would probably get training partners, right? To encourage each other, keep going, push past the wall, you know, or even to push and prod each other when you don't want to get out of bed and run, but you need to. And that's what this word motivate in this passage is really saying. It's, it's, it's a strong word. It's like push and prod each other to grow spiritually toward love, toward good deeds, now, the thing is, we can't do one without the other. We've got to be for each other. We've got to call it the masterpiece. We've got to create grace, that soil of grace, in order to challenge each other to keep moving forward and growing. 
And the other thing is, we have to be people who can receive it and even learn to like challenge to grow. Like it's a challenge to be better, a better version of ourselves. You know, I played soccer my whole life. And um, by high school, I was playing for this club team in Houston growing up, and we won everything. We won everything, and I was the captain. So I'm the captain of this championship team, and by my senior year, quite honestly, now I would have never said this, but I just didn't see much room for my improvement, if you know what I mean. I was pretty darn good. I mean, we won everything, and I was the captain, right? And... uh, and so I lived in that uh, delusion, my reality, and liked it a lot. Uh, and then I decided to try out for this team representing the United States in a tournament in Scotland. And I made the team. And I, my coach, Coach Grimblatt, was a Russian who had coached semi-pro Russian teams. Now, a coach knows that your job is to help help the whole team get better, each individual and together get better. A good coach doesn't demean the person, doesn't shame the person, but calls out the best in that person's abilities, right? You can do better. I believe in you. I see the potential in you. And they poke and prod you and motivate you to become the best player you can be. And quite honestly, you might not think you can get there, but they see it and and it helps you get there. So I made the team. I was so excited until I found out I'm on the bench. I'm not starting. And I went to him and I said, I don't think you understand. (laughs) And what he said to me shocked me. He said, no, you don't understand the game of soccer at all. You have a lot to learn. And I was offended. But you know what? I didn't even know what I didn't know. I couldn't even see what I didn't know. And he did, and he did believe in me, and he helped me get better and better. That's what a good coach does. Now, in the soil of of grace and in the soil of challenge, you know, that's what we, we need to grow spiritually. We do it for one another humbly and gently, not looking down on, not shaming one another, but as brothers and sisters who care about each other and can receive it as well as give it. That's why it says in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, a follower of Jesus, is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Point them back on the right path. And watch yourself. Be careful that you don't fall into the same temptation yourself. In other words, share each other's burdens, and in this way, you obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to to love one another as much as you do yourself. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. We are each responsible for our own conduct. Okay, some great principles here of growth. First, we're, we're each responsible for our own choices. You can't force another person. If they're not willing, don't force them. You look at yourself and decide, am I willing? But notice in the soil of of challenge, it's humbly and gently pointing each other toward God's will and ways, sharing one another's burdens. A challenge can't come from self-righteousness. It can't. It can't come from, well, I do this, so I'm a little better than you, and you ought to as well. And that's motive. But people can smell motive. The motive has to be love. 
seen that mastery. I see in you what God sees and I want to call it out and I want to encourage you to, to, to respond to him, to become all that he sees you can be. It's love and belief that wants the best in the other person. And I got to tell you, friends, I am so grateful for, for the men who have been in my life who have challenged me along the way. Because quite honestly, sometimes I was blind and didn't see. Sometimes I was scared and uncomfortable. Sometimes I was just lazy. And yet they've helped me become the person I've wanted to be more and more and more. And I don't think I would have without them coming along and, and lovingly challenging me. I think about, you know, Randy who challenged me to lead others when I didn't think I could lead anybody. I think about um, Ken who challenged me to go into the marketplace and make a spiritual difference. Don't just make money for yourself. And because of that, you know, as a project engineer, I started a, a Bible study and 24 people started following Jesus and a marriage was saved. But I wouldn't have done it if he hadn't challenged me. I think about how Dave challenged me to, you know, on my commute to work, to, to listen to the Bible online and memorize scripture and listen to audiobooks. And then he challenged me to take what I was learning and teach others, and I wouldn't do it. I was like, no way. I do not do that because I was scared and I was self-focused. I wasn't thinking about others, but he kept challenging me and he kept encouraging me. No, you have a teaching gift. Uh, you should do it. I kept resisting, Dave. Until one day, I was praying. No kidding, I'm praying for something different. And all of a sudden, the thought comes into my head. When you resist Dave, you resist me. And I realized that God was actually using Dave's encouragement and somewhat obnoxious persistence <laughs> to try to push me out of my wrong thinking about myself. Hear that. Wrong thinking about myself and how he had gifted me and, and challenged me to get over my fears so that he could use what he had given me to bless others. And he wants to do the same through you. He wants to do the same through you. It's how he works. Now, let me be honest. <laughs> Every time that someone challenges me, at first my knee-jerk reaction um, whether it's to get out of my comfort zone or just to grow, my knee-jerk reaction is, who do you think you are? Get out of my face. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, well, I have a long list of ways you can change, buddy. Let me tell you. <laughs> why are we like that? Well, he here's why. Because we haven't fully learned to live in grace. All right, hear this carefully. Because if we don't learn to live in God's grace, we will stay stuck. We won't grow. Every time you have a reaction that is defensive or combative or blaming or anything like that, when, when you're challenged to look at yourself or grow, it's because you, you might know that God forgives you and you're not judged and you're not condemned but, and that he's for you and not against you and nothing can separate you from his love, but you're not experiencing it in that moment. You're not. Because you're trying to prove something to this other person. You're trying to prove, no, I am perfect. I don't need to change. I don't need to grow. See that? It's why we say no perfect people allowed. So go back to grace. And then realize I can receive challenges, love from God. That's how, that's how we grow. You know, that, that's how we change. That's how we become the masterpiece God intended us to be. Now, ideally, 
when we challenge each other, it would be in first the soil of that person feeling so loved and valued that they would feel so inspired by what we see in them and, and, and what they see in us. And, and so the challenge is, is not like harsh. It's like, yeah, I want to rise to that. That's ideal. But they're no perfect people. So there are no perfect people who do this perfectly. And so here's the thing. That means we have to also not just be people who can do this better and better, but receive it better and better. In other words, we have to be able to receive that challenge from others. Jesus said this, Matthew 18. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, children don't resist help or the need to grow. Adults do that. And that's why he's saying this. Spiritually healthy people don't pretend they're perfect and have no room to grow. They humbly receive feedback and coaching and challenging because we all have blind spots. You know, think about this. If you have a blind spot, and you do, we all do, you don't know it. Let me say that again. If you have a blind spot, you can't see it, which means you and I are dependent on others to point out our blind spots or we just stay stuck in them. And friends, that is the biggest problem with humanity. And that's what God is trying to do with the soil of grace and the soil of challenge together. That's why all these one another's Say things like teach one another, admonish one another. But it also says, but don't bother correcting mockers. They'll only hate you. In other words, some people can't receive it. They're not living in grace enough. But correct the wise, they will love you. So we don't just run around correcting and rebuking everybody. That doesn't work, okay? That actually negates the soil of grace. And not everyone is humble and wise and willing to grow. They just aren't. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, don't throw your pearls to swine. They won't appreciate them, and in fact, they'll trample you. And here's what he meant. Don't don't keep forcing your pearls of wisdom or your helpful words on people who resist it. You can't force them, and they're going to attack you. Now, on the other side, we have to receive. Don't be a pig, all right? Don't be a pig with lipstick on, just trying to make yourself look better, right? You know, on the outside, but on the inside, you're still a pig. No, it says let God change you into a different kind of person, right? That's what we want to do. So there are all these one another's about receiving feedback as well. It says confess your sins to one another. In other words, don't pretend like you never do anything wrong. You don't have to do that anymore. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, to one who listens, valid criticism is like gold. It's like a gold earring or gold jewelry. Better to be criticized by a wise person than praised by a fool. See, we can receive feedback like this as love from God. We can take it to God, consider it in prayer. It doesn't mean everybody's feedback is 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 relevant or okay. So we we listen to God. What do you say about this? And we listen to trusted others, a spiritual running partner. What do you think? You know, I'm in a life group. We have all our staff are in life groups. 
Um, and I also have spiritual running partners, two guys, uh, another pastor and a counselor that I meet with regularly, and we confess our sins to each other. Uh, we admit our faults. We challenge each other. We help each other, hold each other accountable. And, um, you know, recently, I, I haven't stopped growing either. We all have to keep growing. And uh, some of the people that I do life with challenged me in my tardiness. I tend to be late. And it's a blind spot. Honestly, I don't even know why. And, and so I started to realize that this communicates that I don't value them. I do value them, but I have this bad habit that I don't understand. So I've submitted myself to my spiritual running partners to ask me about it, but I've also tried to put some practices in place to change this automatic response and let God change me. Now that's the second thing. You have to put spiritual exercises in place. And we're just gonna quickly cover this you need challenging relationships, but you also need spiritual practices, spiritual exercises to grow. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 4. It says, spend your time and energy training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise, physical fitness has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important for it promises a reward in this life and the next. Listen to that. Think about that. You know, as someone who has studied heaven and what's to come, think about it this way. What if in this life you are developing the capacity you have that you will enter into to experience the life to come? Well, that would make spiritual training a lot more valuable, wouldn't it? Not just for this life, but for what's to come. Like, what would you do for all eternity with a grudge or with a very limited capacity to experience love? the love of God or love for others. And I, I don't know if that's how it works, but what if, you know, we grow in our experience of God's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and that's the capacity we begin with as we enter into the life to come. You know, maybe that would help us take spiritual fitness just as seriously as physical fitness. And we do take spirit, physical fitness seriously. You know, there was a season when I could only go to the gym uh, at six in the morning. It was the only time I had. But you know what blew me away? The first time I drive into the gym at 6 a.m., I couldn't find a parking spot. The sun wasn't even awake and everybody was at the gym. Why? Well, because we value physical fitness, right? You know, staying fit, looking good, getting dates, whatever. You know, there are lots of motives. <laughs> But we value it. But what if we valued spiritual fitness just as much? We'd grow. We'd be people who look as good on the inside as we do on the outside or better. We'd be spiritually buffed out, right? That's what we need to shoot for. Be transformed. It's our third value. So let me just ask, where, where are you at today? You know, maybe you're not yet in the game. You know, maybe, maybe you've never really surrendered anything to God, like Deborah was talking about, you know, and you, you, you keep trying to do it your will and your ways. How's that working for you so far? Because it starts with us humbling ourselves to realize, okay, I didn't create myself, and honestly, I don't even know myself fully. So if God created me, he knows me better than I know myself, maybe I can still learn and grow Humble myself like a child, like his child. So we can start to grow up spiritually into maturity. 
know, maybe some of you have been hanging out for a while here, but you've just been sitting in seats. And the truth is you can't do these one another's. You can't really grow spiritually without the right relationships in your life. So take a step, you know, go take the starting gate tour uh, today or get connected online or in Branson, meet others. And then, you know, download our, our app, the, the new Gateway app. By the way, you have to search Gateway Church Austin because there are other Gateway churches. Download that app and on there, go to resources, spiritual running partners. There's a spiritual running partners guide. You know, start serving with people or get in a life group and then find one or two spiritual running partners and start just asking each other those questions and reflecting. Maybe you've been connected, maybe you've been serving, but you've never gotten in a life group. You know, life groups are groups of eight to 12 people, uh, meet in homes around here north. They're, they also meet online. They're meeting uh, Sunday nights in Branson. And it's where we're, we have 20 spiritual outcomes that we're helping each other work. Spiritual exercises so that you, you don't just try harder to be loving and patient and kind and have self-control. You're actually growing in it. So let me encourage you. What is your next step?